Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Realize that human beings are less predictable than you think, including yourself. I think that the world is fatigued and I think that we've, or at a loss for the human connections that we had, we've got to really tailor what we do literally by person. So in other words, having some principles and guidance around how we're coming back to work, why we're going back to work, why it's important, and then realizing that it's an iterative process in that things are going to change again. I mean, we're going to hear the word variant and subvariant, and things might change. And some people are traumatized by that. Also realizing that people are working for organizations that are for profits. And I think there's enough opportunity now where if your organization isn't the right fit, hopefully they can help you find the right fit. So I think that you've got to focus on forcing people to do stuff and getting people to feel less stuck And if it's not a fit, if they're not going to do it, then I think that you've got to try to get different people in and help them find a different opportunity. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Rob Fazio. Now, longtime listeners of the podcast will recognize Rob's voice. Rob has been a frequent guest on the show, so I'm always happy to have him here. Today, we're talking about his latest book, Bullyproof. How can you bullyproof your environment? How can you ensure that bullying gets lessened in the workplace and in our world today. And we talk about a lot of things, how to release a victim mentality, how to develop value-based power, how to master subtle strength. I think this couldn't be timelier, especially given what's been happening in the world recently, what's been happening in the United States here with all the amount of mass shootings, unfortunately, and just the mentality that people seem to think that they're better than others and they have to exert the dominance in manipulative ways. And I think we as a world need to understand how we can move past cognitive dissonance to understand that we need to unlearn so many toxic behaviors. Because if we don't do that, we're only going to create more bullies. So I hope you get the book. I hope you do a lot of self-reflecting and reflecting with your families and friends and people in your circle of influence. And despite everything that's happened, I'm an optimist, an angry optimist, but I know we can do better and we should do better. I hope this episode is a catalyst for many of you. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today, I have an old friend of the podcast. His name is Rob Fazio. Rob's been here a few times for a couple of his books. And guess what? He's here again for another book. <laughs> We're talking about his upcoming book, 
bullyproof. But Rob is a managing partner at Unpoint Advising, and he specializes in global leadership and organizational success. His approach is always combined research on power, influence, conversations, and motivations. That segues into what today's topic is going to be about. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Tayo. It's awesome to see you again. You know, when I started my journey, maybe like five, six years ago, the first podcast I was on, I think, was As Told by Nomads. And I was really nervous. And good thing I was nervous because you bring your game and I got to be ready. (laughs) Well, you know, you keep giving me this praise, but I was also starting my career then. (laughs) I was new into the game. I wasn't really sure. I think I was a year or two into my podcast and I decided that I was not going to do anything with my MBA. I was going to be an entrepreneur. And so it was a nervous wreck in my end because I didn't know what would happen. It is fascinating though, because you have gone on to work with other global companies since then. And you've seen the interesting intersection that you and I both share. We both study human behavior and I think you study it on a different lens. So I'm curious what you think the world is like now, especially with the pandemic and everything going on. It's a mess. The world's a mess doesn't mean there's not things we can do about it. The world's a mess. Our leaders across, no matter what your political affiliation is, or if you're stuck in the middle, it's a mess. I've got text messages from my friends on the far left, friends on the far right. They both don't interact and they both think that I'm a moron, right? And it's like, just trying to bridge those dialogues, which you do on a daily basis is interesting. It's a mess in that way where people are just so stuck in their ways And the more and more people try to open up conversations, the more and more people get into their tribes. I mean, you know this, right? And it's it's actually almost making people more protective. And if you are trying to take that risk of opening the conversation, you become kind of the the pole for the lightning bolt for people to attack you, which I'm comfortable with, which I'm comfortable with. Well, you've been on TV a few times and you handle it well. I'm always curious how I'll answer those questions. I like that you said this is a mess because I feel the same way. And you're right, it's on all sides. But then you add, what, cancel culture, then you add the reaction to cancel culture, then you add people not wanting to say something, and then you add whatever retaliation there comes there. And then you think, you think about gender dynamics, and then you think about identities. It's just multiple different things where it doesn't feel like there's any room for conversation. Ironically, I think that leads to a lot of bullying, whether we do it on purpose or not, because we become so dismissive of other people's lived experiences to the point that it doesn't even matter anymore what they say. And no one knows how to bridge those divides because they just don't want to walk on eggshells or they just don't want to deal with it. Here's what's fascinating. Here's a great exercise. Think of the people that you know and their mindset pre-COVID, pre-Ukrainian war, pre-cancer culture, all the things they've been exposed to. How many of them you think have a different perspective? We all of them, right? In my world, I would argue people went deeper into their own perspectives. You think so? I do. This is why, this is why I love this. I love this. So we're, we're going to debate here. So let me tell you why I think all of that. I'll tell you why. Because I remember before, let's say before Trump, I think this is when I started to notice it, right? Regardless of where, far right, far left. And I noticed some people when COVID came, switched from far left to far right because of the mandates. Yeah. I had never seen this type of shift before so quickly. I did as well. And now they're back. Yeah. That's why, to me, I don't know that they thought that. But I saw that happen also when Trump was in power, regardless of where you are, people went, oh, I'm now going to vote or I'm now going to do this. Even with the last election, it was a reaction to the other. The first one was a reaction to the other. So to me, I guess I've always looked at it from that lens where I'm like, well, you never even used to care about this stuff before. Now you care about it now. And then 
vice versa, which I appreciate people caring about things, but I've just noticed that. So maybe that's my different perspective of that. I'm hopeful that people's minds are open more, but I think the people that are so stuck and passionate about their point of view, I think they have what I call values of convenience. So it's like, I'm a supporter in one way. Oh, vaccines are important until it impacts my world. And then, you know what? Maybe it's not important. And the masks are great. They work until it's like, you know what? The wave's over. It's fine. And unless people are in an experience, I think they're going back to what's convenient for them. So do you think as humans, we are creatures of convenience and selfish by nature? Ah, selfish is strong. Yes, I do. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't even think it's necessarily bad or not. It's good to be aware of it, right, though? It's good to be aware of it. And what has been a real gift to me is my wife is the chair of the communications department at the College of New Jersey, an academic. So she's constantly exposed to these dialogues and such. So it pulls me further away from my just knee-jerk reactions and things I would think. If you don't have someone in your life on a daily basis where you can have conversations, even arguments and such, but you're in a safe place where you can voice that in dialogue, I think it's really tough to see multiple perspectives and really feel it and experience it when someone is so emotionally connected to a cause and you're like, oh, whatever. Yes. But when you see it and feel it, that's, I think, when it starts to kind of change our actions and behaviors. I agree with you. I don't think there's an environment that is unsafe that anything is possible to say. So when you don't have that safe environment, you don't feel free to make mistakes. You're worried about, you know, getting canceled or you're worried about someone looking at you the wrong way. And sometimes the interesting thing about all these conversations is my thesis or my hypothesis rather is that everyone's a hypocrite. I truly believe that. I'm I'm always very wary about trying to figure out when to throw glass stones, stones and glass houses rather, because I'm always like, huh, you know, I was graciously allowed to change here, but we're not creating this safe space for that. I don't know. I just go back and forth. Yeah, you're right. I think the word hypocrite's right. Like no one wants to be called a hypocrite, (laughs) but I certainly do a lot of hypocritical things, right? I'm right here. You know, so when we come up with this idea of bullying, there's a little bit of kind of of a twist. And we, you and I have talked at length because we're friends now about bullying in different ways. And we know my strategies are a little bit provocative. (laughs) But I would argue that all of us engage in some type of bullying behavior. And the moment that you say someone's a bully, you're giving up some power. I'm big on finding a different way to, to identify, to describe. So you're not coming from a position of weakness and you're coming from a position of strength. Yeah, it didn't even hit me until just today when you said it. So I'm on TikTok more these days. And yesterday, yeah, I know, I know. It's my, it's now my plan. You got to bring me along. I haven't been brave enough yet. No, but you were like this. Yesterday, for some reason, the bully thing was in my head. I had forgotten that we were even doing something today. And we, I was having a conversation with someone. It was one of these, you know, contentious conversations. And I was like, this is not moving anywhere. I had the idea to ask the audience if they've been a bully. And it was a three-minute video. And I was basically saying, have you been a bully? Chances are you are. And if you haven't really said yes, you haven't really thought it through because you could have done it inadvertently or advertently and you could have find you found yourself dismissing other people. And then my whole point was at some point you decided to stop being a bully, but the thing that you are bullying people for still remained. That behavior was still there. And so if you didn't go above and beyond to work in that culture, it's still going to be existing and passed on to the other culture. But that's the part I feel like as society we miss 
where we become such individuals and we forget that we have so much influence and power and people have been watching us, whether we knew it or not. And they take on the same behaviors, but we've grown. We moved away. No one thought anything. So I'm removed from the problem when you were part of it the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting because bullying is both subjective and objective, right? So you can objectively, and this is what I try to do is look at behaviors that could be perceived as bullying, but you might do some of those and they don't impact me or you at all because we've got a strong sense of self and we look at it as an opening to a dialogue, but to someone else's in bullet, it is, it may not even be the person's intention, but the damage could be as great. Yes. Trigger, trauma responses. You think about all these multiple things, right? Yeah. I want to pause here because I remember when you started talking to me about this conversation, I didn't even realize it was going to be a book. Neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> but I was going down a rabbit hole and I remember this, this is 2017 where I found this article of yours and you wrote, it was a success.com. You had written five strategies for dealing with a bully and your points were don't punch praise, know the line minds, fight with facts, not feelings, find the opening and show your subtle strength. Do you still believe that? I do. In preparation for the book, I worked with a great editor, by the way, a woman named Amanda Rucker, who was just phenomenal, made my writing better, held me accountable to thinking differently. And it was a, an awesome experience to do that. She turned me on to the work of a gentleman named Danny Friedland, who is a doc who studies neuroscience and reactive states of the mind. Unfortunately, he recently passed away from all things of a brain tumor, but brilliant guy, And his whole perspective was on how we get pulled into reactive or innovative states of mind automatically. And that's how our mind works in that way. And if we don't know it, we are triggered into this reactive state, which then just creates a whole host of negative behaviors, interactions, as opposed to getting yourself pulled into more innovative, creative, collaborative state. And I use that as a basis for a lot. So going back to that Success Magazine article, my biggest thing was... These old cliches and adages just don't work. Finish this sentence, Ayo. If a bully punches you in the face, punch back. Wrong. Like you don't want to get into a boxing match with a bully because chances are they're a better boxer and the ring is their turf. So you've got to find different ways and indirect ways to try to influence, engage them, or just get out of the situation and don't deal with it because we don't always have that opportunity, but people stick around too much. It's like, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to win. But then it goes back to your subjective and objective thing. So someone could say something and they might think that was not my intention, but you receive it that way. And then you react a certain way and then it becomes a whole thing. And so you're saying that you, in your book, you have a framework for responding in those situations. There's multiple frameworks. And my book is really focused on the workplace and has carryover into lifestyle and at home. But it isn't about physical altercations. It's more about hey, I'm at work and I feel powerless because I'm working with this very strong dominant personality, whether they know it or not, and I'm getting pushed around and I feel hopeless and helpless. And what can I do? So one of the strategies is the acronym DEALS, which is depersonalize, right? You remember this. The first thing is get out of your own head. The best thing I could teach someone is it has nothing to do with you as the receiver. As much as you think it might be, it's more about this person, what they want, what they need, or worse, their dysfunction or disorder. And then the second part, which is highly unpopular, is to empathize with their situation. 
not from a perspective of, oh my God, I've got to be helpful for them. But if you want some relief, bullies are not used to people seeing their perspective and trying to understand why they're a bully, not through psychoanalysis or anything, but just simply saying, what are they really trying to accomplish? Why are they so frustrated? And then the A is aligning in some way with their ambitions, something that's important to them. And then the L is looking for a hook, something inside of them. There's always an opening that they'll give you once you demonstrate that you think their ambitions are some way important. And then S is showing strength in some way. Subtle strength might be asking a question, might be disagreeing minorly, might be saying, can we revisit this later? But demonstrating that you've got some backbone and respect through using calm confidence as opposed to getting caught into what I call either avoiding or attacking, which is typically the way things go. I remember that that was part of the, the book is broken into uh, two parts, right? Yeah. The part one, bully proof yourself and others. Yeah. So first it's like bully proof yourself and others. And then it goes on to organizations and society. One of the things that I learned in my work is I could say, Hey, be a good alley. And there's gender disparage and we've got to have diversity of thought and ethnicity. That's great. But is that just a mental exercise for me or am I actually doing? And also ties into your earlier point about the role that neuroscience plays into all this. You, you have to essentially train your brain because our brains are elastic after all. And so there has to be an effort to use the deals framework or to use something else to get it to understand a new behavior. Yeah, just to use something to not do what you would typically do, right? Change the pattern or the dynamic in some way. And I think most humans that don't think about this like us on a daily basis kind of go about their day and they just do, right? They have a feeling and they act, they disagree, they act, they double down, they try to prove a point, but they're not thinking, how do I get closer to their point of view, get them closer to a common point of view, and how do we do something together to get others to move along with us? For those uh, listening at this point, I'm sure you're probably wondering what the book is called. The book is called Bully Proof, and is, the subtitle is Using Subtle Strength to Influence Alphas and Strengthen Society. Now, your ears might have perked up when you heard the word alphas. Alphas, what does alpha mean to you? So I don't use a biological definition of alpha, right? Kind of how you're about like the alpha male and the wild kingdom and all that. I'm using it more from a social perspective. And my definition is an alpha is anyone that takes the lead in a situation, whether or not they're either identified leader or subject matter expert. So regardless of the situation, they are comfortable taking a lead. And alphas are neither bad or good. It's just how they operate and function. Actually, if you can align with alphas, they're going to give you the best chance of actually making differences as changes because they're not worried about what people think. If they believe in something, they're getting it done. Hmm. So they have that sheer force of will and, and I guess determination to push through and see something through regardless of obstacles. They're not overthinking. And sometimes that's a positive. Sometimes that's a detriment. In their mind, it's let's complete the mission. And if I do it really fast and for you, I'm helping you. And that creates all sorts of challenges, but we need alphas. And so there's four quadrants to the type of alpha that I found. And the two dimensions are awareness and adaptability. So you've got your unaware, non-adaptive, you got your unaware, adaptive, and you've got your adaptive aware. There's four, I don't know if I got them all, but I could send you a picture of it. But essentially we're trying to interact as much as possible with these 
alphas that are aware that they're alphas know their impact and also can adapt to situations and let other people take the lead. And they're the ones that do the best job of buffering us the impact from unaware, non-adaptive people stereotypically we think of as, as a bully or even beyond a, a narcissist. Yes. And we've certainly heard that word come up recently many times, the narcissist or alpha. And then I like how you broke down the term alpha because I, whenever I hear it, it's often in terms of alpha male, you know, alpha female protector, all those things, but outside of the context of a workplace. But in that sense that you have, it makes sense why the subtitle says ways to influence alphas, because I can imagine a lot of alphas wouldn't want their opinions moved or changed. Yeah. And so the other lens then becomes, how can you get them to see a different perspective? So like in any good podcast, I'll, I'll give you a tease. There's another acronym, but I'm not going to go through because it's too long. Yeah, you got to get but, the book. <laughs> but we did some qualitative research on asking people that might be perceived that don't want to change their mind. How could you change their mind? And the acronym is BRACE. And there's all sorts of tips around an approach to try to change someone's mind whose mind does not want to be changed. There is no magic bullet. But all I'm trying to do is get people outside of themselves and give them a higher probability of success of influencing an alpha, especially when they're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, Rob, the fact of the matter is we live in a more reactive world as opposed to reflective world. That's one thing that I always say. And when we're not reflective enough, we're just going to react to what's already inside and how the society is, I guess, trained our brains to think about certain things. You know, we have all these standards and norms, we have all these biases. And so when you don't neurologically work through the frameworks that you presented, it becomes an interesting, I guess, show of display of power, depending on the, I guess, privilege you have or power you have in in the environment. And so it's something for you to think of, you know, because this can play out in the workplace, which you've been discussing, but it can also play out in the personal life. You know, you, you might not even realize just how other people are reacting to you based on a word you say or the, the tone you use and just the fact that you're veteran in behavior. And it wasn't so a couple of things. One is it's fascinating to me how many people that understand reflection and awareness in today's age are critical, but roll through the stop sign and just somehow don't live it on a daily basis, including myself, right? I catch myself every once in a while. I mean, I've been doing this for a living for over 20 years. I still get triggered, right? On a daily basis. And I think that's important. And the other thing is I didn't set out to tackle things in relationships, but the early feedback and when people were reading the early copies, a lot of people, men and women said, oh, I need this in my relationship or my marriage, right? And I'm like, huh. 100%. Yeah. That's what I got too. <laughs> I always tell people this, the people that make up workplaces, the same people that make up families. It's people. I think a lot of times people don't feel like that, but I noticed that during COVID, especially when we started having all these work environments become Zoom, the lines. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're even blurred more. And if you didn't have an understanding of how someone was a parent, as well as dealing with a sick loved one and then I had to come up to work and you weren't flexible then <laughs> with your hours and you confused that for productivity, you have all these great resignations, right? You have people determining and taking back their power and influence. So I do think you created a great framework for people to use right now because I just hope that we get better about this. I really do. We really don't have a, a choice. You know, we talk about, you know, I know you've lived all around the world I can't believe how many friends that have never left New York City, which is crazy to me, right? And they're so, forget about the sports affiliations. And I'm from right outside New York City, Northern New Jersey. If you haven't lived different experiences, it's just fascinating, you know, how you can get so stuck, regardless of what part of the country you're from. But if, if you aren't constantly disagreeing with people that you care about and having dialogue, then you're not growing, at least from my perspective. I'm with you though. That's why every time you're uncomfortable, there's growth at the end of that. Even when you're working out, you know, at some point you get to a point where the reps are tough to get through, but you need to push past that plateau. And we're at a crisis <laughs> nexus point here as a world. And it's, uh, I have optimism that will push through it, but I'm an angry optimist. So I'm always going to be angry. <laughs> I'm always going to be angry, but you're right. It's the way the leaders are being represented and people always rely on our ignorance. People in power, they rely on the fact that people aren't going to check them or critically think through some of the solutions. You study both sides or the sides in between of all the politics. If you say the right word to the right audience, you're going to get them. And there's also research where, depending on which political party you agree with, if you have that person say, let's say you have someone from the right say something that supports the left, but poses as, hey, this is what I think. People on the right will agree with the left and vice versa. So that whole group out group bias stuff is so powerful. There is stuff uh, that I talk about around how you bully yourself and you don't even realize it with the confirmation bias and all those types of things. But I laugh. I, I'm, I'm part of a, as I said, a number of groups of close friends. They keep hammering me and I got triggered. I got, I got an idea. Well, you guys are all so smart. Why don't you let me invite a few different people to this text on a daily basis? Let me do that. And first person's like, oh, that's a good idea. Other three people are like, no way. This is a way to us to vent our opinions. And I'm like, and then they're like, okay, there you have it. Maybe, maybe we are close-minded. I'm like, but that's the way we want it. I'm like, fine, but don't act like you're actually open-minded in solving the world's problems because none of you have seen anything from a different perspective other than right or left. I think we live in a world of nuance governed by binary systems. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> I know. I, I, said, this is, I don't think you can meet anyone. I think even if you catch someone, they will tell you they're more than one thing, right? You know, you can't, you know, if you look at me, you can see, oh, this guy loves LeBron, he's Nigerian. But chances are you still don't know a lot about me, what my values and all this, if I don't say something, or if I don't give you a, an invitation into that. But yet we make all these decisions on something as simple as a nationality or race or look or political affiliation or religion even, and all these things. And I'm always like, how? How did you get to that conclusion without even having a conversation? It is so, so mind-blowing to me because going through your book, I started to see a lot of those things that we just 
you know, the bad habits that we've created as shortcuts for ourselves. On one hand, they're great, right? They make us more efficient and we, we can read people sometimes. But then in this digital world, it's so hard for you to make a full informed decision without engaging. Let me ask you this. Do you think that powerful people in our world are aware of what they're doing and they're intentionally being manipulative? Or do you think they're just bulldozers and going through and just doing what they think is best? So I think that most of them are aware. Yes. This is only from my lived experience, so I could be wrong. But I spent the first decade of my life in and out of three military regimes, right? And so two of them were dictators. I remember looking at newspapers and I remember them saying clear things that because of my father's job was like, no, that's not true. Because we would watch the other reporters in exile say things that and point it out and say, no, we can't come in the country because of all these things. And I used to just always be confused by these things. But Nigeria has over 250 ethnic groups. So when you put a blame or assign blame to someone else and say, oh, it's this group, it's that group, it's just easy for people to just find themselves. And that's, you know, all this divide and conquer mentality. But I see it happen now on social media because there's this cult worship that we have of someone that has achieved something, a billionaire or something like that. It's almost like we don't think they can do anything wrong And because of enough people in that group, if they can activate them to do something, I just don't feel like people have accountability systems. But I'm wrong. I could be wrong. What do you think? I think you're right. So this is a little bit, I probably get myself in trouble here, but I'm 100% Sicilian. Therefore, I've got a Sicilian mom. And I feel like that most Americans, I'll only speak for our country, are like overreactive Italian moms, right? It's like, oh my God, defund the police. Oh my God, fund the police. It's like, and then all of a sudden there's these waves of reactions. And then it's like, oh wait, we made a mistake. Like the lack of calculation when something happens, when it triggers, is crazy to me how we just go one way and then back the other way. No one's like saying, wait a minute, we were just here and now we're going back. So you think the pendulum swings constantly without people pausing? Yes. It's kind of like classic behavior and it's like stimulus response, stimulus response, but no one's realizing that we're not reptiles and we've got a choice between that reaction and response where we just, I I don't know what, maybe it is the tribalism thing where I feel like now is our opportunity. We've got to rally for this right now. Otherwise it's never going to happen. Self-interest and scarcity mindset. Yes. This also plays a role into that. So now let me ask you this then. covid Hopefully we're on the heels of that, but it's still here in many parts, or at least the remnants of and the consequences of it, whether it's how people go back to work, the great resignation, the mental health implications that have come from that, the systems that have been affected, education system, workplaces and government, and then the wars happening and people's having different opinions on those wars. What do you feel like is the first step for someone listening right now to this podcast who is a leader of a company and thinking about how to navigate the impending return to the workplace (laughs) with all these things playing in the background. (laughs) Realize that human beings are less predictable than you think, including yourself. I think that the world is fatigued and I think that we are at a loss for the human connections that we had. We've got to really tailor what we do literally by person. So in other words, Having some principles and guidance around how we're coming back to work, why we're going back to work, why it's important, and then realizing that it's an iterative process in that things are going to change again. I mean, we're going to hear the word variant and subvariant, and things might change. And some people are traumatized by that. Also, realizing that 
people are working for organizations that are for profits. And I think there's enough opportunity now where if your organization isn't the right fit, hopefully they can help you find the right fit. So I think that you've got to focus on forcing people to do stuff and getting people to feel less stuck. And if it's not a fit, if they're not going to do it, then I think that you've got to try to get different people in and help them find a different opportunity. And, and just interesting. Uh, and on the other side, I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm, always, I'm seeing some people just decide that the workplace as structured is not for them. Sure. Yes. And I think that's fine. That's one of the beauties. I also think that things cycle. There'll be a time, I don't know when it is, where there's many, many more people in work and there's a pushback to people getting in and commuting. Maybe it's only three days a week. Maybe it's only four days a week. But again, that pendulum shifts. And what I hear a lot of executives talking about is right now they're afraid to leave. Yeah, yeah. They're afraid of getting canceled. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And I feel like there's going to be pushback on that. And it's disheartening to hear how many people are afraid to have the conversations. And that's what worries me. It worries me too. And I'm, you know, more on the progressive bend, but I'm, I'm more worried because of what you're saying, because I feel like if you don't say anything, you actually have more dangerous echo chambers. Yes. Because I often reflect, I was doing this with my youngest brother. I was just thinking about what I used to think like, like when I was 17 and 15. And I was thinking, if I didn't have someone <laughs> in my life, if I hadn't traveled or seen something, I can't imagine even thinking that same way now. But if I teleported myself from that version of myself to now, I feel like I would just be such an angry, angry person who is as close-minded as can be. Do you remember in some of our initial conversations around bullying and you were like, Rob, I don't think you can go on stage and say we need to be empathetic towards bullying. So think about your experience. What if you didn't have your brother or your family and you just grew up close-minded and you became an angry bully because that's all you knew? Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because for context, when Rob was doing this to me, ironically, I didn't want to listen to me when I be, I was telling Rob not to do it. <laughs> you were? It's a bad idea. <laughs> and then looking at the world now, the way I opened the podcast, and said, this is, this is so necessary because there's so many bullies all over the place. And now they've even come out there emboldened or whatever you feel. But that's such a great example because that was maybe what, 2017 or 18 around that time. And we're in 2022 now. And it's so interesting. I had to evolve my, I had to evolve my thinking and you were right. Well, I, I don't know if I'm right, but I, I have a perspective that I think can be valuable. You know, you weren't the only one. I was definitely a minority. Matter of fact, I had publishers who wouldn't take the book because they didn't think I could do both. They said, you can't protect people from bullying and also help bullies. I was like, watch me, you know, let's see what happens. Right. I mean, we'll see, but I wanted to take on, I wanted to take on both because I think that if you can get bullies or even people that engage in bullying behavior, just to realize that maybe they do one thing differently a week, well, then someone's going home less grumpy that day. That's so true. You know what I realized that I was doing? I was reacting from the point of view of me fighting against bullies without reflecting on the fact that I could potentially have been a bully to many people who don't even know about whatever change I've gone through. And so I was looking at it through one lens and it was basically it was a self-righteous take, but I was like, how oh, dare you help the people. But when, when we think, you know, I, I said, well, all hypocrites earlier, it's so ridiculous now, even me processing that because I can't even imagine thinking like that because now I really am of the firm belief that many of us, if not every one of us has bullied someone without realizing it. And they probably think the same way that I'm thinking about another bully. 
And if we're not open to that conversation or understanding how an action we did or an inaction we, we did could have led to them having a very unsafe environment, then I don't know what type of world we're going to have. It's true. It's funny, too. So a lot of clients and former clients are like, oh, this is such a cool book. And they're like, hey, uh, I really need this. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I hope they need it because they realize, you know, I'm a surgeon and sometimes I can engage in bullying behavior. But like, you know, my staff really needs this. They need to know that I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> like, doc, bro, we work together. Like, let me, do I really got to? So I've become more savvy in my older age. What I did was I didn't call it completely out. But there's a little turn in the book as you're going through, and there's a quiz in there that if you take with open and honesty, you'll realize some things about yourself that you probably didn't. Is that the way to my bully chapter? Yes. 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 I remember, I remember that. I really, I really uh, enjoy your perspective on this because you bring out this inner self-reflectiveness that we don't do enough of. And then you open the book that way. And then you segue into the society and how to strengthen society. And ironically, it's a group of people, right? Individuals to make up society. So if we start with ourselves, we can end up bully-proofing our organizations. And so you've talked about growth leadership in times of crisis. You've talked about your concept of alpha. What about that finish? Your last chapter is finished with how. What do you mean by that? Wow, what a good layup. Thank you. You're good at this. (laughs) I think that things have gone too far at least in American culture, with the importance of having a vision and our why and our purpose. And there's definitely value in that. And it's important. So I did a deeper dive into some of why visions fail or why people fail in goal setting. There are a few researchers. There's a woman, Tal Sherat, and then another woman, Gosh, I'm going to bring some the word. It's like Gail Otten something or other. But she wrote a, a book on rethinking being positive. And I'm not sure if that's the exact title, but that's the gist of it. But her research is brilliant. And it talks about how over time, people get caught up in the why, but they don't plan for obstacles. And she talks about like how people will plan for performances. But if you don't plan for obstacles... That'll be really difficult. So the acronym she uses is WHOOP, which is your wish, your outcome, obstacle, and then plan. I use HOW, which is habit, obstacle, and way forward. And habit is what are the habits that move you closer towards what you want? And what are your habits that move you further away? And then what are the obstacles that you have internally that prevent you from doing these positive habits or getting to, and then the plan way forward of what am I going to actually do? Yeah. Oh gosh. You, you, if no one has told you this, you're a brilliant mind. So I really hope that people, <laughs> I really feel like you are, and you have a great way of thinking because it's so true. And I went and Googled the book because now you got me curious about it. it it's rethinking positive thinking inside the new science of motivation. And it's by Gabrielle Ottengen, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's got great stuff. Yes. And your how acronym is so powerful too, because I think that the great thing you do is you bring and introduce psychology into your work, which is is such a great thing, right? You know, we have a lot of organizational consultants, but your ability to bring psychology, I think is how people can really change their behavior because then it's applicable, right? You can say, oh, well, this is how I think about it. And they can find themselves within your frameworks. So, So the next question that I have for you is, do you have hope for the world? I do. 
Absolutely. Case in point, you and I developing a friendship, having these conversations, you've influenced my thinking. And you influenced mine. (laughs) And I've never told you this, but if I needed counsel, whether I was in a jam and didn't, let's say, and a lot of people don't have this people, these pet people in the world, but let's say I made a misstep talking about something. I know I could shoot you, you know, hey, could you help me think this through and talk this through? Right. That's an incredible gift. I have hope for that. I do think it's going to take a lot of work. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there saying what we're saying, but may not actually be believing it or doing it. You know what I mean? Like um, one of my pet peeves. I was about to say it. One of my biggest pet peeves. And maybe because I'm insecure and a big hypocrite and people make a lot more money than me, but I hate the whole like flavor of your month and like, this is great. I feel like if you didn't really sit in it and try to help people change and try to change yourself, then it's just kind of, I don't know, it's like a text message or it's like a quick, like one minute speech or something, right? Anyone can make someone feel good and think, but what has that impact where grab someone and they truly do become different? I have a slightly different take of that because I, I agree with the sentiment of that because mine is, I was always the guy that used to, I would say any, I knew all the positive sayings and everything because I was doing all that. And then I came across this term toxic positivity. And I feel like in some cases I've done that multiple times and I had to unlearn and check myself because for me, I remember, you know, someone would tell me something difficult. And I'm like, ah, oh, my, you know, pressure's bad. Pressure makes diamonds. So I'll say something like that. <laughs> I wouldn't even like sit with it initially. And I, I remember before on learning this, having little patience for someone's experience with that. And so when people capitalize on the fact that they can prey on someone's emotions for the flavor of a month, that really bothers me because I really know that I really feel like they're manipulating the situation for profit. Yeah. That to me is my biggest pet peeve there because I, you know, you and I, we know people that might not actually think these things, but they understand the world enough to say the right thing. And then they know how to sell enough books because they have the audience. And I noticed that during the early part of the pandemic, where there were several influencers who all of a sudden switched narratives for certain things, whether, you know, it could be health reasons, whatever the flavor of the topic was. And I was following a lot of these and I said, wait, I don't even believe you, but I'm afraid that your audience believes you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That to me is is more fearful for me. It's what I fear the most. And I think that we want instant gratification as opposed to putting the work in. And I think that that's what sells. So it's about checking yourself and make sure what you're doing is based in something. You know, a lot of people throw around the word science, but if you really ask what is science or what's backing them up, a lot of times you won't get a very good answer. Right now, my work is highly based on experience and interacting with people. That's my primary. And then I also try to integrate things that either I've done research on or looking at other academic settings. However, I also believe the majority of points you want to make, you can Google Scholar and get a soundbite to prove your point if you want. So that's why we all need to be very wise consumers and not getting bullied into a narrative, including the one that I'm spewing. You've got to be a wise consumer. Critically thinking through these things. And the less we become critical thinkers, the more problematic we have. Remember in school, we used to show our work for math and then cite our sources in English. We don't cite 
Those sources are sure at work anymore. Leave that in school and like, oh yeah, no, I just heard this from somewhere. Wait, who, who's the source? Nah, I don't know. I was like, um, I saw it. Someone said it. Someone tweeted it. And I'm like, how do you know it's true? You just said it with your audience with 500k people, and it's gotten a million retweets. It does now. You've already set something in motion without checking this out. <laughs> and then there's no convincing. Maybe a quarter of those people, and then maybe you come back. I made a mistake, but it doesn't matter. They're not going to see this. And then what have you done? <laughs> Yeah. And one of my fatal flaws increasing my following on social media is I wouldn't say something polarizing just to get followers. Right. And that's the advice you get. Like, say something crazy that's going to really make people on this side upset. You know, it's like, you know, that's the world we're in. And I, I do have hope. And I think it's going to take a lot more work than some people are willing to put in. I have a hope too. I've figured it out to use my anger but paired with optimism. <laughs> so, but I have hope too. And I also have hope for this book. So where can people get this book? You can get it anywhere you buy books. So there's a really cool, um, you know, your classic Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all that. But what's really cool is there's just something called uh, Goodreads. That's on my website. If you just go to getonpoint.com. But this website gives back to authors as well as local little bookstores. I just heard about it from my publisher last week and I set up a, an account with them. So I thought that was kind of cool as well. So we'll see, you know, another journey. You know how it is. You write the book, you get the cover, you feel cool. And you're like, well, the work's about to start. That's when it's just getting started for sure. We'll make sure we do our best here at Stove by Nomads to get the machine moving. Before you go, I've always asked you this question. Maybe it's changed. Maybe it's the same answer. But how do you use your difference to make a difference? I think part of my difference is I love... And I'm naturally good at connecting at a wide range of weird people, including myself, right? You know, in high school, I was buddies with the jocks, the burnouts, the losers, the winners, right? That type of thing. And I think that for me, I'm a little bit of a weird, quirky dude. I've got a strange personality and it works. And I love connecting with people from all different walks of life. I love that. We will put everything related to you in the show notes, but I got to thank you, buddy. Thank you for coming on the show. This has been fun. All right, Taya, much love. Thanks for having me. Pleasure's mine. Until next time, kings, queens, and royalty. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.